Hi, y'all. Before we get into the episode, I do want to give a big trigger warning that this case does involve young children. If you're not in the space to hear that, please don't listen to this episode. It is very tragic. Hi, everyone. Thanks for stopping by our table of disappointment. This is How They Got Away, the show where we discuss the unsatisfying endings to your favorite unsolved or unpunished true crime and corporate greed stories. I am your host for today, along with my co-host. Here's Kelsey. And we have two guests today. Uh, <laughs> Stephanie. And Anna. Hi, everybody. Welcome back. Stephanie has returned to us. Ah, uh, yes. Stephanie has returned. <laughs> You mentioned lore, like, in a group chat that you created some, re- like, explanation for why I left. No, we just said that you oh, okay. went to visit family. I guess. I guess we gave you the backstory of yeah, having family. a family. <laughs> to everyone's surprise, Stephanie was not grown out of a lab. She is homegrown by her family. Okay. What a shocker. She's non-GMO. Oh my god. Oh my She's god, not from organic. Monsanto. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's the most important part. But anyways, what's our story today? So we're going to be talking about a local case that I first heard in my biology class in high school. I think my teacher brought it up, which is kind of weird, but you know, whatever. <laughs> At the time, we knew Wait, a really? lot less. Yeah, yeah. Which, which year was which this? Which teacher? Sophomore. This is- Sophomore year. Oh. So at the time, we knew a lot less about this case, and it was largely unsolved. (laughs) But oh boy, let me tell you, there is a lot to unpack here, and most of the progress has been made in the past, like, six years, and even more recently, the last three years, it really all came together. This case is known as the Bear Brook Murders, which occurs in Bear Brook State Park in Allenstown, New Hampshire. It is a 10,000-acre preserve near Manchester, New Hampshire. I was going to say, you said it was local, but I was like, I've got no idea where Allenstown is. I didn't How local are we? It's a million one-dollar towns that are like a single street, and then you're like, and that was the town. And you're like, oh, okay. But thank you for the context of where it is. You're welcome. So we're going to be jumping around in the timeline a bit here to try and get the whole story. But I'm going to start by taking us back to the summer of 1985, when a group of kids who lived in a nearby trailer park were playing hide and seek. You know, they're a terrible idea. Yeah, they're running around, having a good time. But then they stumbled upon a barrel that was off the beaten path and off the trail. And just as any curious kid would, they opened it. No. No, when they don't did, <laughs> when they did, a horrible smell hit them, and during their attempts to then open it and close it, the barrel fell over. The kids scattered, not wanting to get in trouble, and didn't fully understand what they had found. It wouldn't be. When we're saying barrel, are we yes. talking like when we think of a toxic waste barrel, like those kind of metal barrels? Okay. And I'll get I'll get you. Oh, I was thinking about the old wooden ones. (laughs) We're like, is this man like a cooper? He's putting these barrels together for this. Just a nice wine barrel, handmade artesian barrel made out of oak. I think 
I think it's it like pretty on what popular. You want. That's true. So this barrel wasn't rediscovered until November 10th, 1985. So a couple months later, when a hunter was walking through the park by a burned down store and stumbled upon a 55 gallon metal drum, which is what people refer to as the barrel. What was inside this barrel would start a decades long unsolved case. Wrapped in plastic were the partially dismembered bodies of an adult female and a young girl. For a long time, these bodies were not identified and were laid to rest with a tombstone that read, Here lies the mortal remains known only to God of a woman aged 23 to 33 and a girl child aged 8 to 10. Their slain bodies were found on November 10th, 1985 in Bear Book State Park. May their souls find peace in God's loving care. I understand. That's a very nice engraving. Sorry. Um, It's a very nice engraving, but I always wonder... Why do they have to put religion into it immediately? Like, what if it turns out these people are, like, atheists? I mean, again, we are in New England. So a lot of people are kind of, like, very into that. It's probably just, like, oh, yeah. Because most of the townspeople are like that. We'll just do that. We'll send them, like, somewhere where we know heaven question mark which is like i guess nice enough we'll find out later i guess i do think it's very nice when the townspeople kind of come together and because like tombstones are not inexpensive at all like somebody had to finance that to get them a nice grave marker and i like it when people do that and i think with the religious thing yeah it's a little uh, but it's also nobody knows who these people are if anything's between them and god it's their identifications at that point i myself is not i'm not religious but i'm like what are you gonna put on there instead here lies two people don't know them i'm really quick gonna put in uh put in our chat which should be sorry i pasted it twice but that's the crime scene photo of the area so it, it really is just kind of inconspicuously within the forest there's not really much around it okay but like i could see why you might see that and not think twice about it because it's not like people don't dump things in the woods like that that happens all the time like here's a fun fact about kelsey uh in the house that i grew up in the people who'd had it before us had done a lot of renovations before we bought it but they didn't i guess want to get rid of all of the trash that came along with it so what they did was they kind of dumped it in the woods like deep up the hill behind the house so as a little kid i would find like old paint cans things of like big slats of wood and plastic barrels just randomly in the woods so when i heard about this case that is all i could think about and then for years i had to question (laughs) what i was actually playing around as a kid but no i think it was just that like trash in the woods unfortunately very common they'd usually be like empty though right like the paint cans and stuff so you'd be like oh yeah no big deal but the kids are like oh shoot that is not open yeah 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 but there were also like large plastic barrels i don't know what those were i don't think they had bodies in them though god i hope not well sadly this was not the last time that a barrel would be found in bearbrook park 
Fast forward to May 9th, 2000, a state trooper was doing another sweep of the area for clues and discovered another barrel, which had the bodies of two more young girls. Can you imagine that phone call back to dispatch of like, hey guys, I got a little time before my shift ends. I'm going to go just like rescan the crime scene, see if the guy left like a pencil or something. And then you call back like an hour later and you're like, hey guys. So remember when I went to look for more clues? He found some more clues. He found clues 15 years later? He did. And it was, of course, it was deduced that this barrel was likely hidden at the same time as the other one, but was not discovered because it was outside of the original crime scene radius. Some reports said that this was a few yards or 300 feet apart. I'm not quite sure because it changed, but think again that this is a forest. And so they kind of set up a crime scene area And it could be hard to find this. I'll also say I think the 300 feet is probably more likely based on I did Mm. a forensic science lab in college because it was one of the like four labs that were offered and you could you had to do a lab to graduate. Uh, And they part of that was a unit about how to document a crime scene and like how they go about that. And they usually say about 300 feet. So the 300 feet thing sounds more Mm. likely to me, although I don't know what the protocols were at the time. Makes sense. So the two victims were estimated to be between the ages of two and four years old and one and three years old, respectively. Very young. I was, I opened my mouth to say something and I didn't even say, nothing came out. I was like, oh God. They're stuck together. Do they think that they're stuck together because they're related. We'll get to that later, what they think the relation is between these people. She was too stunned to speak. None of the victims had any clothes. All the victim deaths were ruled to be homicides due to blunt force trauma. Of course, in order to find out who did this, the biggest question that they needed to answer was who were these victims? Early on in the investigation, the case was publicized throughout the U.S. and Canada, which led to a lot of leads, but none of them really panned out. Police also went door to door within the community asking if anyone knew about missing persons in the area. And just for everyone's reference, Allenstown at the time had likely a population of about 4,000. So it is a small town, people. There is not a lot. So you probably notice if someone was gone. But also they're near Manchester, which is a larger town city within New Hampshire given to Hampshire. That's what we call a New England yes. city. In 2013, the National Center for Missing and Exploited Children had new facial reconstructions of the victims created by Joe Mullins, a forensic imaging specialist, in hopes that someone would see it and recognize them. These images were initially in black and white because they could not identify the exact skin tone or eye color. These reconstructions were accompanied with dental information Unfortunately, it did not lead to anything new. I think we've talked about this on that pod- on this podcast, but like I'm always so interested by the dental records like identification process. Like it makes sense to me on the surface, but also is that a manual thing that dentists have to do? Like you just get like a pile of dental records and go, "Hey, do these teeth look familiar to you? And then at one point you just see like, I filled that cavity. I know this one. Like, what? 
Well, I what? think it makes sense if you have a missing person that you know of, and then the dentist can pull up their records and say, this is what their teeth looked like, and this is what the body is, or something like that. Help confirm it. Right, but for, like, just random unknown victims, like, you just send it out to, like, statewide. Yeah, I think it could be vice versa, too, where it's like, who's the person that does the body again? Coroner? Who's the person that does, like, yeah, the coroner will be like, hey... I noticed these on the teeth. Do you know anyone with teeth like these? And the dentist would be like, I know that one. It's Mary Sue because she has the worst case of cavities or something. I don't know. Like along those lines. Because I'm like, maybe. I think also, I think also in this case, it plays out because, and I'll get into full descriptions of the children later. Um, Two of them had gaps in their teeth, front teeth. And so that's pretty noticeable if you're describing that to someone. I mean, a lot of little kids have gaps in their teeth, but it's something the that can be distinguished. The gap in the tooth sounds so sweet. Mm. I mean, yeah, the one to two-year-old may not have even had all their teeth in yet. You can just be like, they don't have any molars. They only have, like, these three teeth. In 2014, through DNA profiling using mitochondrial DNA, they determined that the older woman and two of the children, the oldest, the, the um, five to 11-year-old, and the youngest, the one to three-year-old, were maternally related which means that she could be either their mom, aunt, or sister. It was determined in 2015 that she was their mother and concluded that they all lived in the area. The other girl, who is referred to as the middle child, was not related. And they determined through studying isotopes, so the chemicals absorbed in hair, bones, and teeth, they could determine the region that they grew up in. They determined that middle child likely grew up in the upper northeast or the midwest specifically they pinpoint wisconsin they determined that all four victims were likely killed at the same time between 1980 and 1984 so i'm going to give a quick summary and description of all the victims that they had at this point the adult woman was between the age of 23 and 33 at time of death she was between five foot two and five foot seven with curvy or wavy brown hair. She was determined to be white with possibly some Native American ancestry. And for dental work, she had multiple fillings and three extractions. Found with her was the eldest child and her daughter, who was between five to 11 years old, had brown wavy hair and was approximately five feet, three inches to four feet, six inches tall. Uh, he found a source that said that she had earrings when her body was found, but not all sources list this, so I'm not sure if that's true. She had a gap between her front teeth, and one of them was crooked, which is such a sweet childlike image to imagine, having like the little crooked teeth and a little gap. There was also evidence that she may have had pneumonia. The middle, unrelated child, was between two and four at time of death. She would have stood at about three feet, eight inches, she had brown hair and an overbite and may have suffered from anemia. And the youngest who was found, the daughter of the woman stated previously, was between one to three years old. She was between two feet, one inch and two feet, six inches tall with long blonde, light brown hair and had a gap between her teeth as well. Could I share with you the image, the composite image that was created at the time? So, Grouped together, so on this image, you can look it up if you look up composite image for the Bear Brook murders. Um, this is the one with the blue sky background, and it has the four of them. The three grouped on the left is the mother and the two ch 
children, and the one on the right is the unrelated middle child. It's really sad, y'all. I know, we've been very quiet, we just don't have any idea what to say. It is extremely tragic. Um, There really isn't much that you can say. The image here, it's really sad, because they put the youngest one in little pigtails, and they all look so... I mean, they're children. I was just thinking about that. Like, people have to, like, make the decision about how to present these people. And somebody at some point had to, like, was like, I'm going to put her in pigtails. And I was like, ugh. Ugh. But the good news is, by 2019, three of these four victims would be identified. But before we get into this, we need to talk about another case which helped lead to the discovery of their killer and later their identities. In 2017, authorities connected the case of of missing person Denise Bowden to the barrel murders. She was not one of the victims from the barrel murders, but rather had dated the man later identified to be their killer. Those those kinds of stories always get me like, oh my God, can you imagine dating a person like this and not knowing it and just breaking up and then just going on with your life and then you see on the news about the horrible things they did and you're like you can't come back from that that's gonna haunt you for the rest of your days you never date again like what do you go to speed dating and go hey you don't murder people right because my last boyfriend (laughs) said he didn't murder people but then he very much did and i just don't trust people after that Denise and her infant daughter, who goes by the alias Lisa, disappeared from Manchester, New Hampshire in 1981, along with her boyfriend, Robert Evans. This man would later be identified as the killer. But that is not his real name. Of course not. So the baby has an alias and he has an alias. Is that the woman's name, at least? Denise Bowden is the real name. Lisa, um is the alias because she is still alive today. Okay. Right, she probably does not want to be connected to this. No. How old would she be at this point? Um, Like, 20s? No, she was a infant in 1980s, so she's 40-something. Oh, she's a... Yeah, I can... I I imagine she would very much like to not have this hang over her head. I did see her birth name listed somewhere, but I don't even want to list that. I don't think she even goes by her birth name, but I don't want to. I want to respect her privacy and not say that. That's fair. Denise was 23 at this time. Um, She had graduated from Goffstown High School and was last seen on Thanksgiving. Her family had gone to visit her house a little while after the holiday and found that no one was home. They, for whatever so reason, sad. like a, f- a holiday around family is the last time you see your family member. That's so sad. This is sadly going to be a pattern that families last see their missing. Yeah, it's sad. Annalise bringing the heavy hitter today. It is. I didn't realize how, for context, when I first picked this case, I just knew it as the barrel murders. I just knew that bodies were found in barrels, which is horrific to begin with. But as I actually researched this, it got so heavy. I thought about this so much last night. I know sometimes certain cases you can't research at night because then you try to go to bed and that's all you can think about all night. I've had that happen for sure. Yeah. 
So for whatever reason, the family didn't report that Denise was missing. In fact, it wasn't reported until 2016 when Lisa, who was alive and living in California, reported it. Okay, I could see maybe not reporting it the day of because she's an adult with her own family and her own life. Maybe she just went somewhere else that day and changed plans and didn't tell you. I could see that. But waiting until 2016? What? Is there like a distrust of police at that point? Like, did you just not trust the system to work? Or just, did you just not bother? Like, what the hell? I could not find a reason why they didn't do a report. So it turns out that Robert Evans in 1986 had abandoned Lisa at a campsite. After this, Lisa was in custody of Child Protective Services and they asked if she had any siblings. Here is a quote from Deputy Headley about her response. She said that she did, but they had died from eating grass mushrooms when they were out camping, which says, yeah, there's more victims out there, definitely, end quote. So how old was she when she was found? She was about six or seven when she was found. Okay. So she was old enough to kind of know what was going on around her. Mm -hmm. That sounds like something somebody told her to say. It is very interesting. Um, Grass mushrooms is an interesting thing to say, though, but that's also a child might not understand what's happening and is just making assumptions with what's going on around her. So grass mushrooms, like grass the plant and mushrooms? It just says grass mushrooms. I really don't have any other details, unfortunately. Because I'm thinking maybe like drugs? Possibly. Because like grass is another word for marijuana. Mm -hmm. So like maybe somebody referred to them as grass and said they were going to take some grass and some mushrooms and actually had smoked weed and taken some kind of psychedelic mushroom. I unfortunately don't have more information, but Deputy Headley here believes that there are possibly more victims, more children that had been um, affected by this man. Denise Bowden is still missing today. Many theorize that Robert Evans had killed her. Due to the close proximity of these cases, the authorities started looking closer into Robert Evans. Again, as I said before, that wasn't his real name. It was an alias. But eventually, through DNA testing, they did discover that the middle unrelated child from the barrel case was, in fact, this man's daughter. That that is the decimation of, like, a whole family. Just. It is. Is Lisa, or her alias being Lisa, is she also this man's daughter? Or is she? No, she is not. They That was a question. She didn't know for sure, but after DNA testing, it was proven that she was not. Because I thought, like, he spared her or she escaped somehow, and I thought maybe it would be because he w- she would be related to him, but I guess not. No, I don't know. There's also theories that because the middle child isn't related to Denise is only related to um, the killer, there are some theories that this man may have also killed the middle child's mother. We have a serial killer Did on our hands, guys. DNA testing to see if Lisa's mom and this girl were connected, or do they think she's a completely different mother? They think that it's complete. So Lisa's mom is Denise, but her father is not the killer. The killer is 
the father of the unrelated middle child, but Denise isn't the unrelated middle child's um, mother. Oh, okay. Yeah, we there's a lot of there's a lot of players in this. There's story. a lot of players in this game. We're gonna get into a couple more, unfortunately. The middle child is completely unknown to this day. We do not know who that middle child is. All we know is that she is the daughter of the killer. This poor girl. This poor little girl. It is heartbreaking. So I'm gonna move us past this to try and get into some more detail about who Robert Evans is really and how did they catch him. So Robert Evans was actually convicted in 2002 for the murder and dismemberment of his then wife, Unsun Jun. Unsun was a chemist in California and had known Robert Evans, the man that we've been referring to as Larry Vanner. She had gone missing in June, 2002. Her family and friends continuously questioned Larry on where she was, and he would always come up with different excuses, like she was going to get therapeutic help, and that's why she wasn't home, or that she just didn't like her friends anymore, and that's why she didn't want to be in their life anymore. Her loved ones did not believe that for a fucking minute. (laughs) Snap, snap. The fact that this man got away for this, got away with these horrendous horrendous i just tried to smoosh words together because i can't think of a single english word that fully encapsulates this with lies like that i'm not asking for you to be a better liar i'm asking for you to stop murdering but if you are gonna murder like you have no liar story set up you're just you're like oh she's somewhere what what he constantly switched his story and that's something that of course, was suspicious to the police. So Renee Rose, who was a friend of Unsoon, went to the county sheriff and was like, hey, <laughs> Unsoon is missing and Larry over here is acting hella suspicious. You need to look into him. The police, thankfully, were like, uh, yeah, shakes hands. I agree with that. Yeah, that is pretty suspicious that a full-grown woman has gone missing and no one can seem to tell us where she is and her boyfriend keeps making up lies and changing the story. Yeah, that's suspicious. Yeah, her that's husband. Weird. Her husband. They got married. Oh, they were married. I thought they were just dating. They were married. Oh my God, that's even worse. It is. That means there's probably a wedding album somewhere with this monster. That's just something about that is just so much more disgusting to me. I think he's been married multiple times, so there are multiple wedding albums. They could all be in, like, an attic somewhere. Do you think he uses the same tux every time, or <laughs> does he change that up? Imagine. I'm sorry. I can't. I, we got to bring it lighter. We got to make jokes to make it lighter here, y'all. What a little It's freak. rough. It this is, is so heavy. It is so rough. So, of course, this led to police investigating Larry, and while searching his home, they found, tucked away in a crawl space under a large, and I mean huge, pile of cat litter was Unsun's dismembered Hey, okay. what the? So, we thought enough about hiding the body that we bought a bunch of cat litter. I'm, I'm not really sure what the thought behind that was. Maybe to absorb the fluids? Neutralize the salt, smell Salt, my somewhat. dude, salt. But, like, at at some point, 
when you were buying all this cat litter, I don't know if this man has a cat unrelated to this, or if he just bought cat litter for this, but at no point did he think, huh, maybe having a body in the crawl space of my, my house is a bad place for a body. What? Are you serious? You're just, what's the plan? There is no plan. There's no plan. I did wonder if, so just to wrap that up a little bit, um, she did die from blunt force trauma, like all the other victims. I do wonder because this man hops around between um, the East Coast and West Coast of the United States constantly. I was wondering if he was planning to run away soon and take on a new name. I, the blunt force trauma to me, I mean, it sounds like that's kind of his MO and it's a little bit nonspecific, but I'm also wondering if there was some kind of domestic dispute between them. I a hundred percent, I a hundred percent believe that this man will date women and then abuse them, kill them, dismember them, leave town and do it all again. Oh my God. Okay. Is he... Is it like a crime of passion every time, though, and he just gets better at cleaning up the messes, or is he doing it on purpose? Like, is it just one of those things, like, he's just abusive, and every time his abuse becomes lethal over time, and then he panics and covers it up? Or is he, like, is this just what he gets his kicks out of? Like, therapy is so much less expensive than all that cat litter you had to have bought. I can't get over all that cat litter. I know. So in 2017, police um, publicized an interview from him and DNA ended up being collected from a son from his very first marriage. And so the man who went by Larry Banner and Robert Evans and multiple other aliases was then identified to be Terry Padir Rasmussen, otherwise known as the Chameleon Killer. What was his last name? Can you say that one more time? Rasmussen. Is he a Chameleon Killer? Like Rasputin? Is he a Chameleon Killer because he keeps changing his name? Yeah. That's exactly. Doesn't... I mean, go off, I guess. That's not really original or revolutionary. I I do want to... I was just going to say, I'm pretty sure... What was it? Like, Yusuf Qatar kept changing his name. Yes, he did. To very similar things. Pulling back from previous episodes. But I'm just saying, I don't know if changing your name that many... Like, a couple times to, like, Larry or whatever. Like, I don't know if that warrants a name, like, the chameleon killer. Larry, Terry, unless, unless he was dyeing his hair and like wearing colored eye contacts, then I would be okay with, I'm not really cool with like giving serial killers names, but like, you know, make it make sense. Then I feel like chameleon killer would make sense. Yeah. I will. I do want to say a quote from one of the interview clips that was publicized because it infuriates me. I think it's so dumb. This is something that he said. Oh my God. I've always tried to live by the motto that there's no defense against the truth, but sometimes it's hard to find out what the truth is. How fucking This sounds like, uh, what's his name? Patrick Bateman from American Psycho. I'm getting a lot of vibes of that character from this guy right now. Really out here like, I'm gonna be fucking weird about women, and then also like, killing women? Wow. And I'm not, ugh. What kind of gaslighty ass? Oh my god, Annalise just posted his picture. Oh my what god. a goddamn worm. Oh my god. 
I would not love him if he was still a if he was a worm. I would I not. Like worms. I would worms him are as a man. funny and silly, but this guy. You're right. That's an insult to worms. Ew. Do you Why ever, are you leaning like that? Though? Like you He's hear really stories like... about serial killers and the like, but Ted Bundy in particular comes to mind. And then people are like, well, one of the things that they did is that they would like use their like socially attractiveness to gain victims. And then every time you see the person and you're like, I don't fucking see it. Huh, this guy is That's mid. Crazy. Just to describe it for mid. everyone listening. Who would date this man? That's not to blame them, but like, oh my god. If you look this up, this is a picture of him with, he has a white t-shirt on, and he has a severely retreating hairline um, and a mustache. He is an older man at this point. can't even see the hairline. <laughs> can't even see the hairline. The hairline has left the chat. But if you look it up, that's him, and uh, it's rough. A little background. You can, like, hear his voice, too. Just, you know, when you see a person and you're like, I bet I know what you sound like. like. smoke, And it's just the most gravelly, 20 years smoker, gross, creepy, slimy voice you've ever heard. And it is in my own brain. And I can't escape it. I feel like he just reminds me of, like, the pretentious English grad student who's, like, just discovered literary theory. Ah! Oh my god. Yes, exactly. That goes with the like truth thing in his interview. He's he's one of those people who like totally thinks that they're smarter than everybody else in the room and they're literally the exact dumbest person. Yeah. Quantifiably the dumbest person. And we're going to have um it's a WMUR um post online that has the interview clips that I got this from. It's going to be in our notes in the description if you want to check it out. He is like hunched over the entire time you know how guys like put their like elbows on their knees and fold their hands <laughs> ew that's what he's doing the entire time ew. why did they interview this man like when you mentioned there was an interview my very first it's a police interview. interrogation interview him. it's a police interview oh i guess oh okay yeah my, in my mind i was like are you like is this a news interview okay yeah i guess an, an interview is a misleading word it's more of a police interrogation but I'm sure he thought of it as, a, as an interview because he's so special and cool and smart. That the police just want to know how he did it because they just don't understand him. He they was just, so fucking they, chill No one understands him. I could spend the rest of the episode just trashing this man. I usually don't really tr- like to... I say this every time. I don't like to judge people by their appearances, but when you're ugly on the inside and on the Actions outside, Actions speak no louder excuses. than your appearance no. in this case. I'm just going to quickly... Just like Megamind always said. So here's a little background on uh, Rasmussen here. He was born in 1943 in Denver, Colorado, graduated from high school in Arizona, and served in the Navy from 1961 to 1967. Hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. He was born at that time. I already forgot the year, but that means he was about 20 years older than the woman found in the barrel that was possibly... His partner? Oh my god. I didn't even think about that. We're going to talk about that age difference uh, in a little bit when we talk about the woman who is later identified. Ew. So Rasmussen married and grew a family in the 1970s with four children, um, which he abandoned. How many children does this man have? That's why he had to get rid of them. Like, total. That's so many children. There's the... 
We don't know oh, for sure. There's the abandoned ones and there's the, there's the dead ones. Could you imagine ever finding oh out like, oh my God. The fact that this man was allowed to procreate at all should oh. be a blessing. Like, I, I know. His family had- And the fact that the composite sketch of his kid is so cute, and I know that half of her DNA is this man's, and I cannot fathom. I cannot. I'm going to trash this man for the rest of the episode. What are we going to (laughs) do? Go, stop. That's impolite. You have to respect the- No. This guy's stinky, evil, and deserves to eat dirt. You're disgusting, (laughs) trash man. You're stupid. I'm going to kill you, and you owe me $200. I'm stealing whatever's left in his bank account and if he's still alive, question mark? Whatever. His family had assumed that he was missing or dead, having last seen him in 1974 when he had visited for Christmas, having already kind of separated from his wife at the time, bringing along a girlfriend who people believe may have been the mother of the unknown middle child. The audacity, though, to show up back in your kids' lives after... I assume at that point already having been absent for a while with a girlfriend. Bro. Gross. Yeah, this guy To Christmas of all times. Not like like a coffee date. Like Christmas. The audacity. This man was grown from a rotting field. (laughs) Honestly, where does he even get this audacity? Like, what about you? Think... Makes you think that, like, yeah, I can get away with this stuff. No. No, sir. You have no redeeming qualities that give you any kind of leeway. None. None. So now that we have identified the killer and he was connected in 2017, I'm going to talk about in 2019 when authorities identified three of the four victims from that Bear Brook's murders. With the help of... So they were found... Sorry, they mm-hmm. were found in 1984, right? Or the first... The first 1985. Was. 1985. And then the second barrel was found in 2016? 2000. No, 2000. 2000. And then they weren't identified until 2019. Yes. So second barrel, that's 19 years, just straight up. Yeah. Already a huge time. And the 1985, that's another 15 years, so 34 years of being unidentified. Yeah. Because some trash man decided to put you in a barrel because... Because. Mm-hmm. So it was thanks to the help of an invested research librarian, Rebecca Heath, who used an online messaging board to connect a woman who was trying to find her family member and her two daughters. Her family member's two daughters, that is. This family member had married a man with the last name Rasmussen. Such a gross last name. It's too close to Rasputin. An already creepy, slimy man by anyone's standards. And then you're just like, Rasmussen. It sounds like Rasputin and Mucus had a baby. It does. I just want to say, research librarians are great. She, like... Went above and beyond. She was did amazing. She really brought this together. And she was the one that kind of took this tip and, and the information and brought it to the police. And with the help of DNA testing, they were able to confirm the identities. Fun libraries. Research librarians yeah. deserve the world. So I'm going to get a little bit into who these victims were and kind of the timeline of their lives that led up to this moment. 
Marylise Elizabeth Honeychurch, the mother that was found, was born in 1954 in Connecticut. Marylise was described by her family as quirky, bubbly, with a good sense of humor. She went to high school in- Can we just compare the, like, names don't really, you know, quantify you as a person, but Honeychurch and Rasmussen. I instantly think of Matilda. Can't Um, cover it. I forgot the name of the teacher. Honeywell or something? And then, like, her stinky aunt. And I'm just like, damn, uh, we really connecting the pages here today, huh? Wow. This is so sad. Yeah, it was Honeywell and a trench bolt was the principal. Mm. (laughs) Similar, similar, um, opposites vibes. So Marylise went to high school in California and in 1971 married for the first time. From this marriage, she had her first daughter, Marie Yvonne, the oldest child found. Her sister said that she was excited to be a mom and deeply loved her children. Oh. This poor woman. This poor woman, these poor kids. It's so just like nice people trying to live a normal life. Her husband filed for divorce in 1974, and it sounds like he wasn't really a present father. They have a timeline of both Rasmussen and uh, Marilise's uh, lives that are kind of like stacked for how this happened and what was going on. It's a very interesting timeline that will also be in the notes, but it's, there's a note that the father wasn't really present in their lives, and then they divorced. But either way, um, Marilise got custody of Marie. It was later that same year that she married her second husband in 1977 and had her second daughter, Sarah L. McWaters, the youngest victim found. Sadly, in 1978, Marilise and her second husband separated, and there was some back and forth custody of Sarah, um, but she eventually ended up staying with her mom, which, again, this is not at all the mother's fault, but just thinking about if Sarah had been with her father instead of her mother when all of this happened, it's, it's sad to think of. Marylise and her children were last seen by her family at Thanksgiving, 1978. I said Thanksgiving, didn't I? Yeah, I was gonna let that one pass, but you know. No, I'm calling myself out on it. We need a little bit of lightness on that. Is also is this a separate Thanksgiving from the earlier Thanksgiving? I'm telling you, everything lines up with holidays. Okay, but, like, does this man have, like, a thing against families and Thanksgiving being a family-oriented holiday is just, like, too much for him? Like, that seems crazy to me. So it was Thanksgiving 1978 at her mother's house in La Puente, California. It was during this visit that Marilise introduced her family to her new boyfriend, Terry Rasmussen. Who has an 11-year age difference, by the way, if anyone was not paying attention at home. Oof. Yeah, and guess what? Can you imagine, on Thanksgiving, your daughter comes home with your two grandchildren with this man. Obviously, he probably didn't look quite like that at the time, but like... Bringing it to that, her sisters said that Marilise and her mother argued about the relationship between her and Rasmussen. Her mother questioned why they were together, saying that he was too old for her because at the time, Marilise was 24 and Rasmussen was I don't like that. I'm 24. Oh, oh no. That is... Oh. I know. 
uh, Anna, would you li- would you date a thirty five year old? Please tell About what? Please tell the class. <laughs> I imagine though, like it, it was probably later, like around dinner time or getting ready for dinner. But in my mind, she opens the door and the mom sees this man and goes immediately no, and then starts the fight. You know there. what? You're not invited to Thanksgiving. Go home. That oh would be God. me. Just open the door and go, y'all can come in, he cannot. Uh, the no, kids, my daughter no. can come in. You can leave that scrangly little Definitely piece of garbage not. outside. I actually don't know how tall he is, but I'm going to keep that way. I don't like this at all. This literally gives me the vibes of, but mom, I love him. And I'm like, uh, I've had enough. Oh, man. Ugh. The only time and I'd ever go with anyone that much older. A mother's is instinct is right. Her mom. Only if he has money. Her poor mom had really tried to be like, let get out of this situation. Like, why is this? Why are you doing this? Yeah, because what can you say? Like, anyone outside of the situation, anything you say is, it's not going to reach them. It's just not. And I got to imagine works. that that mother replays that argument all the time and is like, if I had said the right thing, maybe she would have stayed. Or if we didn't argue, maybe she would have felt more comfortable staying here and more comfortable, like, with the family. Like, that has to be a constant running thought and replaying. There are four photos that show Marie, the oldest daughter, celebrating her fifth or se- her, sorry, celebrating her seventh or eighth birthday at her with her father's family, I believe, um, in 1978 or 1979. But that is the last record we have of her. During the 1980s, it is assumed that Marylise took on the alias Elizabeth Evans and was listed as Terry Rasmussen, who was going by Bob Evans at the time, was listed as his wife as seen in records after his multiple arrests for bad checks, best of services, um, when he was working as an electrician in Manchester, New Hampshire. And that is the last record we have of Marylise. Oh, dear. honey. If your significant other comes to you and says, hey, babe, I've been arrested one too many times for fraud. You got to change your name so that people can't track us. And you do it? Girly. Girl, you had to have known this was going to go bad. I'm not blaming her, but like, oh. That is why I really do think that this is an abusive and manipulative relationship in one way shape or form because she loved her children she would not willingly put up with this for her children like she has her children why, why would she be doing this there had to be something else that was keeping her tied to this man exactly healthy relationships do not first of all end with one of you in a barrel that's just not how that's gonna go and number two your significant other's not going to come to you and ask you to change your name so that they can avoid the law. That's just, oh, I feel so bad for her. She's just trying to have a good life, give her kids a dad, and this just went so wrong. It did. It really did. In 2019, Marilise's family laid Marilise and Mary to rest together with new headstones identifying in them in Allistown, and Sarah was laid to rest in Connecticut near her father's family. I am going to share a picture of each of them. 
I'm interested to see how these compare to the crime sketches because I know that those so usually accentuate features. Oh, but there, I think there's like a better, more. I think it's a fun, more fun um, picture that people tend to use. Let me try and grab it real quick. They got the nose wrong for sure. So the first one that oh, we show here so is nice. more formal picture. It looks like a, a headshot taken where she has fringe bangs and very long hair. The second one that I put again it was here eighties is her is looking a beaker and like having a good time with some fun glasses. Put a little bit of color on this. Make her lively. Oh, She was quirky. She was having a fun time, man. Living her life. She was happy then. Was this picture taken before she met? Yeah. I don't even remember his real name. I I think Uh, it was Terry. Terry Rasmussen is his real name. There it is. I, I couldn't remember which one. Which I don't like calling him by the Quinted first him. name. Bitch boy. <laughs> don't think he deserves Ugly. it. Ugly. Rasmussen. This was before she met him? I believe so, yeah. That that makes it even sadder, because just to know how much life she had, and, and he took it away from her. I hate him. I hate him. This next picture is um, Marie. Oh. Oh. She, this is a picture of her in, like, the backseat of a car. She has kind of messy, short hair with a Coca-Cola uh, cup in her hand. The old-fashioned Coca-Cola yeah. bottle, like, cup. And she's got a she's little graphic a shirt that has, like, two little cartoon characters on it. Very sweet. Oh. And then I got the final She picture. has her mom's nose. I keep harping on the nose, but I was, I just immediately noticed it was, like, totally different from the sketch. And that's little baby Sarah. The only pictures we have of her Aww. as her is a baby. Um, I don't. We don't and I know. think part of that's just because cameras weren't as common back then. Yeah, I, I think we also don't know exactly her age when she died, but she was still like very young. If anything, she might have been like a toddler when she died. This photo has got to be. I think that's. I don't know. Oh, I thought maybe the baby blanket was a christening gown, but I looked at it closer, and I think maybe not. You can tell, like, this is days old because her head's still that, like, Yeah, I'm sorry. I'm just weird, staring at it. I'm like, it's so shape. large. If that like, makes sense. Uh, she's shaped like a peanut. <laughs> she's all, like... She's shaped like a peanut. If you look her up, she's all, like, scrunched up in a blanket in the arms of possibly her father. I'm not sure who's holding her in this picture. Um, she looks like she's sweeping. Yeah, maybe you're dead. Mm-hmm. Very sweet. If you look behind him, though, that car is so of the times. Like, that car behind them is very 70s, 80s. Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, poor thing. Sadly, um, the middle child who was found in the barrels, as we've mentioned multiple times, was not yet identified. I do have an updated composite sketch. Um, but I do want to say, so David uh, Solomon, who is Marilise's brother, said that his family refers to this girl as Angel. Aww. This is um, the most recent composite sketch that we have of her. It's from the National Center for Missing and Exploited Children. It is a black and white drawing here, but it has short little hairs on it and some little wispies for the little baby hairs, little chubby face because she was... Again, this man murdered his own child. 
and probably her mother too and i think that is pretty likely given that it seems that nobody was looking for her and or maybe they are maybe they are and they just haven't made the connection there's always hope for that he also like killed the memory of her by not disclosing information about who she was because he's is he still alive here's the thing to wrap this up terry rasmussen the killer of all these innocent people actually died in 2010 before it was discovered. All right, that guys, he was road the trip. We're gonna find his. He grave died at the age of 67 before facing charges for this horrific Damn it. crime. Okay, I'll still spit on his grave. I'm sorry. What did he die of? Uh, it's like I think it was a combination of like lung cancer, some kind of heart failure thing, and one other thing. He's right <laughs> about the smoker. Yeah, he get his ass. I mean, of the times as well, he was probably a smoker. <laughs> I wanna. I mean, he could have at any point said, oh, by the way, I also killed these other people. But also, like, of course he's not going to do that. And what what pissed me off so much is this man was constantly in and out of prison. If you look at his records, he was, like, constantly in there for little things, but then he would go on parole, and then he'd just get the fuck out of Dodge and then move to the other coast and repeat this all again. And I just can't help but think if they had just held on to him for, like, a little longer, paid attention to him a little more, then this wouldn't have happened. You might have said this, and I just don't remember it anymore because this has been such a wild ride, but did they they ended up finding his wife's body, right? The one from California? They found... Where did they find her? They found yeah, the her in his one. home. Cat litter. Listen, right! Cat litter! Friends. So, just... Just to uh, summarize who we know he has killed, I'm going to talk about one person that people theorize he has killed as well. Um, we know that he killed um, Marilise, Marie, and Sarah, as well as that unknown middle child. We know that he killed Unsun June, who was his wife. There are theories that he killed the middle child's mother and that he killed um, Denise Bowden, who was Lisa's mom, and potentially other children that he may have had. What is theorized theorized is that he may have killed the uh, San Joaquin County Jane Doe. So this has been theorized by the assistant sheriff, John Huber from San Juan County, California, or San Joaquin County, California. So this Jane Doe was found in 1985 in a refrigerator that had been dumped in a canal. She had also died from blunt force trauma like mm. his other victims. I don't have much other details besides that, um, but just to they know, say that I don't she know how extensive their timeline of his movements are, but do they know if he was in California at that time? I am not sure. I think the idea is that because he had killed in, oh, actually, um, I believe Lisa was found in California the year after. So they think that after he was in New Hampshire, had killed the victims from the Bear Brook case, took Denise and Lisa, hopped to California, and then spent time there where Lisa was eventually abandoned. And during that time, he was possibly in the area um, where this Jane Doe was. What's terrifying to me about that is that 
from what we know about him, his victims are people who were in his life for a not insignificant amount of time. He had relationships with all of them. Yeah. So there's a chance that this woman might have known Lisa and maybe even like was a not an official but then like an unofficial stepmother to her for a while but Jane or not Jane I'm sorry Lisa was too young to remember that that is so disgusting and also just to go along with that like him having relationships with all these women all of the disposal methods scream I have absolutely no idea what I'm doing but I need to get rid of this body so I don't get in trouble to me like just throwing a barrel in the woods, like not even buried, just like in the woods, like they're not going to get found. Come on, man. The cat litter in the crawl space. Come on, my dude. What? What's the plan there? There's no plan. He has no plan. He abuses these women to the point where he's lethal, learns absolutely nothing from his mistakes, and then decides, but I don't want to get in trouble because I don't deserve to be in trouble because really it's their fault. And you're like, die die disgusting man and i do question i i feel like there's other victims that we don't know of particularly because so much happened in the 1980s and then umsin happened in like 2002 that there is time during the 90s where i i can't remember the timeline if anything happened i don't believe he killed anyone during the 90s and that makes me question if there was someone that we don't know about I mean, you did say he was in and out of jail a lot. Yeah. But I doubt he could have made it that long. That's just disgusting. And also, like, there were there were women in his life that we theorized that likely would have died. I don't, unfortunately, think he is the type to just let women leave his life. Except for his first wife, I guess, who's still alive and well. Yeah, but he abandoned Ish. her. I think it's. I, I, I get the don't sense want that, to like, say that was probably the best outcome for her, but no, that is the best. But I, I do wonder if he, maybe these women were trying to leave, and then this stuff happens. I am quickly looking at the timeline for him, and I don't know what she says about whether or not he was abusive to her, or if she just yeah. chooses not to say. Real quick, looking at or the if timeline that's that started happening after. Looking at the timeline that the government has and the police have. Um, there is, in October 1990, he was paroled and then absconded after in California because he was arrested for child abandonment. Um, his last, his then, his next known steps was in 1998 in June, he was stopped in California under the name of Lawrence William Vanner and was cited for not having a driver's license. So there is like an eight year period that he's just like not accounted for. Yeah, I would, that just doesn't seem to me like something he could help from doing. I just, if you don't want kids, you don't have to have kids, you know? The kids did not have to be part of this. And the fact that he spared Lisa and then didn't spare other children and even his own child is insane to me. Like you could, first of all, condoms existed in the 80s, my man. Just a thought. Birth control, always helpful if you don't want kids. Doesn't really seem like you did. And number two, you, like, come on, man. Adoption agencies? Like, did you have to? No, you didn't. You really didn't. 
as you can tell, and by our, like, this case made me sick to my stomach. Like, it, it went a lot deeper than I thought it was going to. Um, if you do look up the barrel images, there are images that look like they do have the bags in them, which kind of freaked me out. If you don't want to see that, don't look up the barrels. <laughs> that reminds me, at the beginning you said that, like, a couple of kids found the barrels originally, yeah. and then they were still left for a couple of months because they didn't really understand what they'd found. How did they connect that later? Like, did hunters be like, oh, yeah, there were bodies, and then the kids had to be like, oh, yeah, about that? It was, I mean, again, this is a small town. Someone finds a barrel with bodies in it. That's not a common everyday occurrence. Those kids probably heard about it constantly, especially with the police walking around questioning if anyone was missing. The gossip got around. Those poor kids, too. Like, oh, when you man. fuck around and find out. Don't ever open anything you find in the woods, kids. I mean, okay. We grew, we all grew up in a time that's very different from like the 70s and 80s. Like, we grew up in a much more crime conscious mm. world, I feel like. But not as cautious as, like, I think this time period, yeah. but still, yeah. No, no, that's what I'm saying. I'm saying, like, my immediate thought upon seeing a barrel even as like a 10 year old would have been what if there's a body in there mostly because of what happened in the 70s and 80s because there were just so many serial killers and murderers all the time that nowadays we just know about all of them and that's my first thought but also like come on don't open barrels you find in the woods what at best what is it gonna be like trash that's like the best what you got there i got biohazardous stuff from the hospital if I touch this, I will surely die. I would rather have that than open up and I go, ha, fuck a buddy. <laughs> but also, like, was he living in Bear Creek at the time? And he just put them in a barrel and then just, I, I'm picturing it now, like, put him in the back of a truck. Because, of course, he is a truck. I <laughs> can't picture him in a sedan, for sure. Just, No. And then just roll them into the woods and then just wipe your hands of it and say, and now to move on to an entirely different life. What? Come on. I keep looking over in the chat at the photos of the little kids, the little babies getting to me. It's, it's, it's really hard. And y'all, this is just such a rough case. It is such a rough case. And really... This guy got away with it because he kept putting up aliases. He kept moving. He didn't really seem to have an attachment to anywhere. So he was fine, totally dropping everything and like going somewhere else. But also the system kind of failed to track what this man was doing. And like you mentioned, he was born in Denver, Colorado, but it sounds like we don't really have a whole lot of information about his childhood. Like, part of me wants to, like, see if there's some kind of justification for this, but then also my brain is like, there is no justification for this. But, like, where the hell did you come from, dude? I really don't know anything about his childhood from what I can find besides that he, you know, where he went to high school, that he was born in Colorado, that kind of thing. I know that he was in, oh gosh, he was in the Navy. He like moved to Hawaii after he was in the Navy and worked at his parents' shoe shop. He took a lot of odd jobs, but I really don't have much about what this his home just sounds life like, was. What's the word? Like, Sociopath, the right word, the one where you don't feel anything. I think that's what this guy probably is because he's really just like, 
I don't see it anymore. Not my problem. And I'm really just going. Because that's it's the thing, three too. Or is four families or maybe more. I don't think he meant to kill any of these women. I, I don't think know. It Blood just sort though. of. He just never. No, I'd like. I think what. I think it was just like lethal abuse. It just like escalated and escalated and escalated to the point where it, it became lethal. Like when I say mm. I don't think he meant to kill them is that like I don't think he like sat down in his house and was like, all right, I'm going to kill my wife today. Like I think it just happened every yeah, time I don't and think he, he just feels never anything. That scares cared me. enough to change something about him to fix that but then also what gets me is that okay maybe the deaths of the women could have been a quote-unquote accident like an accident in that like you know i did nothing to check my behavior at any point ever because i'm a man i don't need to have my emotions checked but like the kids had to have been (laughs) no but the kids had to have been like well i got rid of the mom and i don't want to take care of the kids So those had to have been on purpose. But I want to say, again, this is kind of why the quote haunts me, that there's no defense against the truth, but sometimes it's hard to find out what the truth is. I feel like he felt he was justified in whatever he had done. And so if he got angry and that turned out poorly, then the truth is that it was their fault and not his. Oh my god. Could you imagine being that parent, like, you are blaming your kids for something? Like, they're kids. They're still learning stuff or whatever and as an adult you should know better like they're supposed to look up to you that scares me can you imagine like there are parents to this day who are like oh yeah like i abused my kids and they turned because i turned out fine and i'm like that's not something to brag about we get it your parents weren't great but like they're kids they don't know jack you have to teach them that and you were teaching them bad stuff and what gets me is that this man keeps dating women that have children yeah, stop having kids. Stop being around kids so, if you don't yeah. like kids. Like, that's the thing that gets to me is that you could have made a choice to, number one, know that about yourself and remove yourself from children. But, like, there's no way he had that level of, like, emotional intelligence. But if you didn't want to be near kids, you don't have to be near kids. Could you imagine if he had, like, some kind of, like, weird allergy to latex or whatever? And that's the reason why he didn't use condoms. And he's like, shit. Fuck. I mean, granted, they have they had other things back then, but I'm still just scratching my head like, buddy, there is like the women can wear condoms too, buddy. What is Ugh, I hate this man so much. I can't make a DeBarrels joke because of this man. Fucking mad. Oh yeah, when I first for context for everyone, when I first was pitching different cases that I wanted to do, (laughs) I was like, oh my gosh, a barrels like case because we had talked about a feet case before. It was a whole toes, thing, but Anna said barrels. the barrels, and I was like, Anna, you have to say that during the episode before I knew how dark Us. this ha, episode barrels. would be. This is gonna be funny. It's kind of local. Us after this case, this sucks. Oh my god. I mean, we've made a couple of jokes, which is like whatever, no big deal. But this is like, I'm trying to remember if there's another case. I'm trying to remember to there's, to like, another case, case or something that yeah, I've that really been that like that any this. case with... Maybe, like, one or, once or twice, but I'm like... <clears throat> yeah, it's... Not that any case with barrels would be funny, but... The phrase de barrels is funny, it's, but we didn't think that it was... It's in there. ...this dark. Like, this is dark. Uh, 
I keep looking at the little kid's faces, and then I think about how he probably in his mind really, truly thought he was justified in killing them. And I just, I can't ever yeah. understand that. And that's why we're disappointed, y'all. I'm so disappointed Ugh, they were so, so little. Thanks for stopping by our table of disappointment. We have some tissues here if you need them, because this was a rough one. Um, please push in your chair and, you know, go watch TikTok or something. Turn off your mind. You this is a rough one. Go just watch some mind-numbing content and try not to think about the barrels. Yeah, get some brain <laughs> rot on litter. with some internet content and... We'll see you guys in the next one. Bye. 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 <laughs>